Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here with my guest, Tyler Bluth. Now, Tyler started as a VC analyst and then had positions as a marketing brand manager. But then, then, for the past decade, he has been on the finance side directly supporting marketing. And he is here to discuss the marketing CFO concept. A position I started using actually was at Best Buy and it's designed to bring the financial thinking, consistent measurement, and evaluation across the slew of marketing functions. Um, and and I, I, I also use this position to focus the team on the marketplace and consumers versus their individual stuff. Um, he has the unique perspective of having been on all sides of the finance and marketing interface and hence the topic for today a primer on the marketing CFO position. Why you might consider it for your organization. Welcome, Tyler Bluth. Man, what an intro. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here, man. It's Glad we could to get this you. together. Yeah. So the marketing finance interface can be challenging, as many of you have pointed out in previous podcasts. And finance generally is interfacing with investors and marketing is charged with some combination of growth brand management, sales, and long-term positioning, then there can sometimes be a little tension. Tyler, <laughs> you've been on all sides of this tension, and you've seen the marketing and finance relationship for quite a few years. Give us a little overview on this. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit of tension, I think, is super fair. Obviously, it depends on the organization. It depends on the players you have. But I think you know the stereotypes hold true in most organizations at some level. Uh, which is, you know, the marketers don't understand that we have a business to run, that we're responsible for shareholders, and they just want to spend money on commercials that look cool. Um, and then the flip side is, you know, the marketers believe that finance, you know, doesn't understand the value of brand. And, you know, they, you know, would just cut everything and take some money for the short term and don't understand about how you build like a, a business that sustains. And so obviously, the truth is somewhere in the middle and it depends on both of those organizations. And I think how you set up your organizational design to have finance and marketing work together is 100%, you know, at the root of how you can have either a really beneficial relationship where everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction, or you really let that kind of animosity uh, between those two groups uh, get out of control. And I've seen that too at different organizations. And it, get, it gets out of control. And do the marketers usually lose when it gets out of control? Because that would be my take. Because, yeah, it, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think that's one of the reasons I, I'm a fan of this position is the investors care about the financials more than they care about almost anything else in the company. Yeah, listen, I think if you were to if you were to line up and obviously different board positions, different things and depends on the company ownership structure. But I think it would you say does a board of directors generally align more with a finance person's thinking than a marketer's sense of thinking? The answer is probably yes, because the value lies in the PL generally when you're talking at a board level. And so, um, 
yeah, like I would say marketers generally lose. And I'll also say that the, the, the burden of proof is generally on the marketer to prove that what they're doing makes sense and is giving the ROI. Um, and it's a lot easier because again, finance, you know, in most organizations, you're just a scorekeeper. And so it's a lot easier sitting behind the analyst booth, telling everybody what they're doing is wrong or not wrong. Um, it's a lot harder to be, you know, actually the one in the kind of in the trenches on the marketing side, trying to drive the business forward. And I think, yeah, the marketers do generally lose for, I think those reasons. Well, and also let's, let's face it. Almost all companies want more sales and more profit with less spending. Um, so so, you know, most and, companies, and, Mike, and, I think, I think all of them. Like, yeah, I'm pretty statement. sure. All of them. That's a, that's really a good call. There's very few companies. I'm I want to take spend, a note on that. I want to spend more and get less. That's my new goal. The, um, so, so when, when you think about this, you, you plunk the marketing department in there and the sales, the sales too, for that matter. And they're always under pressure, you know, uh, gross sales overnight, brand over time. Um, and so there is this tension and there's always this tension between short and long-term Write the marketing CFO into this story, like describe the responsibilities of a marketing CFO. And then we're going to tear this apart a little bit and talk about how this all works within the company. Yeah. So when I think about it, um, you know, the the name's a little self-explanatory because you just think about what does the CFO do for a broader organization, right? Which is there's certainly reporting, there's certainly the scorekeeping, but you know, I think at the highest level, it's making sure that there's no asymmetry of information and that everybody can make the right trade-offs, right? And so I think that the marketing CFO role, you know, is a finance role, but you know, it's led into, I'd say, the inner circle of a marketing leadership team. And it's there simply to make sure that everybody is seeing the forest for the trees. And that as they're framing arguments, as they're framing initiatives, as they're solving for short term and long term, that they're able to basically make the call um, in terms of what the business will see. Because if you can ladder it up and say, we're going to make this investment today, it's going to look like this in the short term. Here are the measures that we're going to see in the short term, midterm and long term and go to the organization with like this well thought out plan. You know, that's really what, you know, the, the marketing CFO is there to do, because if you can't convince your marketing finance partner that the initiative is going to you know hold water you'll be hard pressed to get it very far up the chain at a broader executive level. And so again, it's, it really is just a think about what a company CFO should do and put that in the context of marketing. And there, there is just a business partner, but it takes a lot of trust, I would say, um, because you need to have executive sponsorship on both sides of that. You need a CMO that's willing to maybe be a little bit uncomfortable with how much they're letting finance be in the room. Um, And then you need a finance partner who recognizes, you know, how they, champion this organization to accomplish their goals and for everybody to win together. And that's obviously a, a pretty difficult balance. So, so thank you for that. Let's go back and tear that apart a little bit, because I, I think there's a very uh, important nugget in what you just said, which is if if the marketing team can't convince the marketing CFO of the validity of the idea, whether it's a short or a long-term idea, the chance of the marketplace and the investors not liking it is really big yeah so the and the other thing i think that that i watched you do in this job that was very helpful to the team is marketing is not a homogeneous function it's collect it has a lot of people it has performance marketing that's often very short-term measures some brand and pr stuff that is sometimes hard to measure in longer term some capital investments that are longer term marketing scorecard has a lot of different components in it they all need to translate to a financial statement and they all need to work in harmony. The marketing CFO can make that happen. 
I mean, yeah. I, I think you should talk about how that, that works and how you take all those different measures and all those different scorecards and make it into one marketplace and consumer scorecard. Yeah. I, I, again, I think I hit on that a little bit when I was talking a bit about asymmetry of information, which is, first of all, you got to put the scorecard in front of everybody, right? You have to let people grok at the whole thing because anytime we get too myopic and have a brand team focused on standalone brand measures and a PM focused on very bottom of the funnel acquisition measures, you know, you, you find themselves, I'd say, you know, pitting themselves against each other. So making sure everyone has a fair read of it. Um, and so, yeah, I think what we did, and I've done this at multiple companies where you basically go org by org, and you start figuring out what measures they feel like they're most responsible for, right? And then you put that together from a marketing lens. And then you have to translate that into what is the rest of the organization, whether it's investors, whether it's board, whether it's just the executive committee, right? Where do you see those measures actually start ringing the cash register in certain places um, and what those trade-offs are, right? Because again, when you're, you know, I think back to, you know, in my career, you know, the, you know, 2011, 2013 coming out of, you know, the Great Recession when things were were booming pretty good, there was this big appetite to invest um, as you were kind of coming out of that and trying to build growth again. And when you're in some of those periods, you can definitely make different decisions than you do when you're, you know, <laughs> three years earlier when we were in 2008, 2009. That's when you're right? running out of money. <laughs> right. But the, the problem is, I think where people run into some problems is they change the metrics depending on what the business is trying to solve for short term. And what you really need to have is a scorecard that's balanced on both short term, long term, near term cash register, and then value long term, right? Because if you have everyone anchored on the right measures, you can solve for different things in real time, but everyone's comfortable with what the metrics are. And we say, hey, right now, you know, we are unabashedly, it's, you know, Black Friday and we want absolute ding right now. You can say, great, here are the measures we would tweak. And then people kind of can see how it plays out in the long term. So, uh, so what, I hear you saying there, adjust the adjust the spending, not the measures. Yeah, don't don't change the measures because they should be a equal read. They, they should stand the test of time is how I would put it, right? Whether things are great and you're in investment flow, whether things are tough and you're in a, you know, we need to preserve profitability in the short term. Those are strategic calls and businesses will ebb and flow. You shouldn't be changing how you're reporting the business or how you're measuring the business based off those. And that's how you can kind of get people over time comfortable with the measures. Because if you if you spend time and tell a marketing team right now, I need you to solve for X and they do it and say, oh, no, now, you know, it's whack-a-mole, right? Up and down the funnel of metrics. And you say, now we need more traffic because, we, well, you guys were just telling me I was solving for this, right? And so if you help everybody along the way, and I think that's where finance plays such a pivotal role because they generally do see end-to-end -end, um, from a metric standpoint, the way it moves through the PL, but also what else is going on in your company? Because again, the marketing- There's also a really big difference here, which is outcomes versus analytical measures that drive outcomes because traffic is a nice measure, but it's not sales. And consideration Absolutely. it's a great measure, but it's not sales. And neither of those are profit. And, <laughs> and so I, I think I think the important thing here, and we're getting into this, is tell us the most common state mistakes marketers and finance folks make when they are doing this interface. Because one of them you just put on the table, which is you have you are focused on analytics versus outcomes. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, you don't understand what's driving the outcome, so you're moving the analytics. So, and if you can't tie those two together, I, I've seen. Uh, I think back to a company about a decade ago that I was at, where we spent a lot of time focusing on exactly that. Like, here are the metrics we think we can move real time, and this is what it should result. And it was kind of input output. And you know, two years later, we realized we had the wrong input metrics because we weren't moving what we thought. We were doing a great job 
of getting more people to the website, but you know, it wasn't doing anything from an actual value. Um, listen, I think one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things I think that is a pitfall as you build this relationship is finance is going to want to measure everything. And so what marketers generally will do, will give them the things you can measure, right? You, Mike, you said performance marketing is a great example. We live in a world, and depending on your business, if you're a direct-to-consumer and a lot of that's happening on your own website, you're rich with data, right? And so you can look at it, last touch attribution, we can measure this, how many times they came to the website, this is what they did, here was my cost per whatever. And so you get real myopic and you, the finance people love that. We're like, oh my gosh, look at this. Like, Sadly, spent, I've experienced this person. Yeah, you spent a dollar and now I got $2 and how exciting. <laughs> and so I think the pitfall a lot of people fall into is just because you can measure it doesn't mean that that should be the thing you focus on the most, right? Because what I've seen time and time again is on the things you can't measure, which we know have value, like l- turn off your TV and wait six months and tell me that there wasn't obviously a lot of value happening in terms of you know more linear media. Um, but the problem is you can't measure that as directly. I can tell you what the last click on Google did for you. It's much harder to tell you what the last commercial did, right? And so I think the pitfall that people fall into is let's get a really robust measurement plan and let's just focus on the things we can measure. And when you do that, you ignore basically half of the value that marketing brings to the table. I, I, and and we, we worked on this a lot when, when we worked together, which is the other thing of, a lot of those measures are just the what. They're not the why or the how. Yeah. And and I think if you are focused completely on the what, you are missing the thing that's really driving the business, but you're challenging the marketing or the finance department to just get more of the what without understanding why or how that what exists. And, yeah. and I think that is a, how do you deal with that as the marketing CFO? Because you can get that from both sides where people say, hey, look at this, or the finance side is in there. Like, uh, you, you got to have a foot in both camps, but you also got to get people on the same page because if, if it doesn't turn into sales and profits, investors probably not caring so much. They're probably not caring so much. That's absolutely fair. I, what I have found is generally what happens is somebody wins the argument of what we should focus on, at least right now, right? Yeah. And so that's been happening at your company, whether you have a robust finance marketing partnership or not. And so as I've come into organizations fresh, um, I just look at something over the last three years. And even as a finance person looking at the marketing metrics, it's pretty clear what their marching orders were over the period of time, right? So you look at it for three years and you say, it is very clear you guys have been focused on efficiency and what you're using as your measure of efficiency is last touch attribution, because you can see everything pointed towards that because you you won't see it in one holiday campaign. You won't see it in one Father's Day execution, but over a long arc of time. And it's not even on purpose. It's just how organizations run. And so, you know, coming in, you basically, you can get everyone aligned that says, if we focus on what we're focusing on, these are the results and here's the trade-offs we made. And so using historical data is what I've shown to be very helpful in helping anchor people on what are we really trying to solve for. Um, But that foot in both camps is a tough one. How do you do it? Like, what's some tips? Give because look, a, a lot of people I think are very interested in this concept. Yeah. Like um, so. So, how, what? Do you tell us that, like, if you were hiring a marketing CFO, obviously you're not available to hire. But what would you? What What would you? What do you look for? Can every financial person do this job, or what are the skills you need to do this right? Yeah, it's uh, 
let's talk about the org structure and then I'll talk about the, the person. Because first and foremost, you need executive sponsorship coming from your CMO and your actual CFO, right? Because if your CFO thinks that this person has gone completely rogue and is now playing for, you know, the marketing team as opposed to the company as a whole, you know, name on the front versus name on the back, you're having you're going to have a really short runway, right? Because this person has to be able to leave the CMO's staff meeting, go to the CFO staff meeting and straddle that world and make sure that everybody is, you know, getting the same information, everyone's aligned. And that when the market, the finance people or the broader org or your CEO isn't understanding this concept, you're the liaison, right? You you can put in context of shareholder value. You can talk about it in the next earnings call. This is how it's going to play out. That's important, right? So you need the sponsorship from both sides. You need a marketing partner who's willing to let the finance person maybe a little more under the tent than they've been used to. And you need a finance person who says that person is doing this job. I know they can stay objective, but gosh, this feels like they're leaning more towards the marketing side. So executive sponsorship is key um, from both sides, not just one. In terms of the person, um, can anyone be successful? I don't know. Can anyone be a CMO? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it does take a skill set, right? <laughs> I want to uh, make a joke, but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, they let anyone be a CMO. Anyone can do it. Yeah. I just, going back to your intro of yourself, apparently anyone can do it five times. <laughs> so, uh, listen, it does take, it, it takes more, um, it takes more, understanding of marketing than a lot of finance people are probably willing to put in. Um, I kind of fell backwards into this kind of hybrid marketing finance. And it was just a function of, I literally was working in finance. I was helping with some brand execution work. Um, the CEO, I made some smart aleck comments. I knew something about something finance. And he thought that guy seems smart. We should let him be a brand manager. So like, I fell right back into it. Like I, I was not trying to pivot into marketing, but I'd say, I don't know that there was another three years in my career than when I was a brand manager that set me up for success more as a finance person, because being on the other side and having to worry about all of the things that marketers worry about, it's not abstract. Um, and so that's been super helpful. So I would tell you that you need somebody who has actually done the work to actually understand marketing more from a business than, than just a business partner standpoint. And that doesn't mean you have to go find somebody who, you know, ran consumables at general mills for 12 years or anything crazy, but just somebody who is, who knows more about marketing than whatever the three credit class they did at B school looked like. Hey, so there's a couple things in there that I want to make sure everyone is hearing. Uh, the first one is, the marketing CFO's job also entails a huge amount of learning, which is you're, if, if you vision this as you're going to just keep score, you're going to fail at it because the marketers are not going to trust you. Yeah. Marketers have to believe you're in it with them to do the right thing in both the long run and the short run. And that means you can have the balance to understand why some things that don't actually pencil out perfectly might be right. Yes, especially big capital investments or long-term things, Martech stack stuff, loyalty programs, all that stuff. Um, the second thing I think that is is super important is the two-way trust concept. You mentioned it about both the CFO and the CMO have to do it. But the other thing, when the when this works, the team trusts that the CFO is trying his or her best to get the right solution for the company, not for finance or marketing. Yeah. And is willing to argue both sides of that. Um but the other thing that happened that I, I think is super helpful is the CFO, the marketing CFO can come in and tell the marketers, hey, next quarter is going to be tough. We should start thinking about it right now. 
or, you know, we got a bunch of stuff coming down the road where we're going to have extra money. Let's think about it right now so yeah. that there there is this. But then if the marketers run around and go, oh, next quarter is going to be top and they're, they're running all around telling everybody that not that great. And and so this two way trust concept of what's really going to happen and why I, I think is a really big deal. And I, I think you were exceptional at that when, when we worked together. Um you know, how do you know you're doing a good job, though, Tyler? Because if you're doing a good job, almost everybody is kind of in some way, and I witnessed this with you, modestly irritated with you almost every week. And uh, <laughs> because you have to find that middle ground where, you know, everyone's kind of reaching a good compromise. T tell me, how do you know you're doing a good job? Well, it's easier for me because my whole life, no one's liked me any week. Like, <laughs> and so like there, I guess there's like a, a low level of feeling good about myself. No, it's uh, listen, I think what's great about working in finance is like the actual thing you're assigned to do is this is the measure of success. Right. And so um, first of all, relationships is is one. I, I, I do put a lot of stock when I like especially now I have a, a new role. So I have other people that support our marketing function. And frankly, like, I know if I'm getting what I need from a finance perspective. And so when I reach out to their partner, the CMO, you know, currently, um, or any organization that I've worked at, I, I put a ton of stock in whether or not they're getting it. Because like, who's the most skeptical of this position? It's the marketers, right? It's it's not the finance. Fin finance people love this role because they're like, ah, oh, it's kind of like we're in the inner circle, you know? Like, it feels like we're we're in the show as opposed to just... Money. Yeah, like... <laughs> We're actually, look at us making a difference. Um, you know, it, so it's it's the marketers that are more skeptical. So like, first of all, I just think having that open communication and getting the feedback real time, um, you know, you're being successful. The other thing is, um, you know, you you again, I think you see it in the arc of time, right? If you look at some of the measures that people decided, you know, you wanted to start tracking. And every time I've done this exercise where you build a scorecard from the bottom up, um, there are new things that surface that weren't being looked at very carefully that are now. And so I, you can't just like brand spend, how do you know you're being successful on brand execution, Mike? I mean, you're never going to know this month, but when you look at the trend over time, when you look at the things you're trying to move, it's there. Um, and it takes patience, but, uh, yeah, you, you have to be willing to give yourself a, a decent runway, um, before you call it one way or the other. Thanks. So you, you're talking to all the CMOs listening or marketers listening, agencies listening. What advice would you give them right now from from your seat, you know, uh, as a former marketing CFO and now, a, you know, big finance hitter? <laughs> um, I would say that one of the things that I think I've seen people struggle with this role is when you try to hire it fresh from the outside. Um, because you need to have at least a starting point where somebody gives you the benefit of the doubt. Meaning like if you're going to take this role and go into marketing and say, I know I'm going to look like I've gone rogue and don't care about the company anymore. If you have the, if you already have the gravitas with the finance org, where they're like, oh, that person has credibility. You know, she's been here for however long and we know she's a fair, you know, sayer of the truth. So I would say like, look inside your, if, if you're not structured this way, I would say first and foremost, look inside your org and see if there's talent that you can bring up that you, someone's not coming in cold because it's really hard for someone to sit in this role and try to build credibility on both sides of the fence at the same time. That's really hard. And so like looking at the potential talent you have or how your org is shaped, I think is, is the first thing I would recommend. 
I, I think th this is really a good point. And when I'm looking back at all the marketing CFOs I have, they have always come from inside. Yeah. Uh, and they've always been agreed on by me and the CFO as the right player to do it for all the reasons you mentioned. Hey, so, yep. so Tyler, as we as we run towards the end of our show here, two questions, and you could take both of them or one of them, but you you must take at least one. Funniest story, um, and or practical advice for our listeners about anything we haven't talked about yet. Um, funniest story. This is one I tell all the time because again, I I do get uh, the the when I you know start swapping brand management stories with the marketers. Um, it's very clear, very fast that I was a terrible marketer, right? Like I, it was a very kind intro that you gave. Tyler worked in marketing, but like I was, oh, I was bad at it. Uh, no, no reason they should have let me try it. So this is fun because first of all, it was, it was not just that I was a finance person masquerading as a, as a marketer, but just like I was at that point in my career where I'd had a couple of wins and probably far overestimated the value I contributed to any organization. So I was going to launch a, uh, this is sound stupid, but I was launching a uh, women's facial care line that for the morning. Right. Yeah. And so I'd been in marketing for a year. I was like, this is going to be my first big launch. end to end I'd worked with the, you know, R and D folks. We developed the formula, we'd done the testing and, and we found ourselves now with focus groups, looking at two packages, two different packaging solutions. And uh, because it was a woman's facial care routine, like a cleanser, toner, moisturizer, and it was for the morning, I had this brilliant idea. I was like, you know, it's morning. It should be bright, yellow, orangish, you know, hues of a sunrise. And so that's what I'd gave the directive to my creatives. They came back. And so I had two and then a blue one, you know, because everyone like we think of, you know, Olay, Neutrogena, those types of blues. And we're like, yeah, that's relevant in the marketplace. So we're sitting there and I'm sitting there all excited. I think my yellow design is going to be great. And I've been working on this for like a year. <clears throat> Anyways, so uh, two-way mirror focus group, you know, middle-aged women uh, from the Midwest, you know, everyone's demographic. Uh, and this, I didn't see it before. It's this opaque bottle and it's kind of yellowy and it's sitting on the table. These women walk in before we ask the first question, woman goes, that bottle looks like it's full of urine. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat there on the other side of two-way mirror thinking, that looks like a big bottle of urine. Yeah, she's absolutely <laughs> right. I've been working on this for a year. We designed it. We the whole thing. Anyway, so we have very quickly, the moderator takes that off. And now we're just dealing with our blue set. And uh, then the, the another woman says, I like it. It's nice, but it's a very aggressive blue. And I'm like, oh, this is gold. This is great feedback. The blue is too aggressive. <laughs> um, and so I go back and I change it to a, a softer blue. We took it. And then at the end, you know, two months later, we're at the final approval committee with our executive team. And our CEO goes, I like the blue. Just make it blue again. And I realized somewhere <laughs> in between making a bottle that looked like it was full of pee to you know, taking all the feedback just for someone to change the color. That was actually, I, I tell that story almost as why I went back to finance because I realized I was just way over my skis on what I could add as a marketer. So I, I think as we talk about the marketing CMO job, I think it's it should be first and foremost, I was an awful marketer and I'm a much better finance partner for marketing. Okay, well, thank you for that urine story. That's the first <laughs> urine story we've had on the show. Um, well, you're welcome. Uh, yes, I mean, there we go. That will that will surely make it into the descriptor. Um, the uh, last question, practical advice for our listeners about anything we haven't talked about yet. Um, yeah, I, I would say, listen, this is this is one that looks slightly different in organiz every organization I've been a part of. 
And it really does come down to the personalities and and the kind of chance leadership's willing to give it. So the best advice I have is start with what you have. Uh, you don't need to wait to find some unicorn hiring. You don't need to wait till you have an executive suite that's 100% aligned on what it needs. Start with what you have. Um, and I would start with the scorecard as the focus, because I think even if you don't know who the right person is, maybe to spearhead the whole thing, um, if the organization can get aligned on what metrics they want to measure across the thing, that generally will point in a direction of where you have expertise in-house. And so start with what you have, start with a, a scorecard that you feel is more representative of the short and long term and, and start there. Well, I think great practical advice to close the show. Thank you, Tyler, and thanks everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, including What Your Agency Wants to Tell You But Won't, Why the Short Shelf Life of CMOs Parts 1 and 2, Is the CMO Species Headed for Extinction? What I Learned as the First Ever CMO of New York City under Mike Bloomberg, and an academic's take on how to improve the CMO position. Hey, all you marketers, be safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off from CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your work days and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.